Cast presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The Bearcast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And good afternoon. Welcome into. A brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Also, Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365, the YouTube channel that uh, hopefully some of you are watching us on today. And if you are, welcome. And if you are, then uh, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe and please hit the like button as well. Uh, We would certainly appreciate that. I am Craig Smoke, joined as always, as I am every single week, uh, pretty much... Almost nearly every week of the year, almost all 52, and last year I think it was basically all 52 or 51 of 52, but joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer of Sikkim365.com. Also got Garrett Ross behind the scenes, Jack McKenzie as well. Hope you're having a good day as well. We get set to talk about a few different things surrounding Baylor athletics this week, from basketball to a little bit of football, uh, some softball as well after a huge week for Glenn Moore and his team and uh, just some other sporadic notes that we will get to. But, uh, Grayson, how you doing this week, man? I'm doing good. I mean, it, it's always a nice week when uh, Baylor sweeps Texas in something. So that happened this weekend, which was fun, which I know we'll talk about. Recruiting, you know, kind of figuring out the lay of the land a little bit as Baylor tries to round out their roster. Um, and then, of course, official visits coming up in June. So I feel like a lot to talk about, even though it is kind of starting to get to that point where everything's starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah, definitely into that point um, in kind of rounding up results and stuff. A uh, couple teams, tennis um, on the men's and women's side are now done. I know there's like individuals or what, like, you know, men's tennis has, you know, a couple doubles guys that are going to move on. But uh, the teams themselves now out of uh, postseason play. So there's two more that are done. We just had Acro and Tumbling wrap up recently with another national title. Congrats to them. Uh, but yeah, you're starting to get down to kind of the final handful of sports uh, remaining this semester with, I guess, uh, you know, about a month or so here still left to go. Not sure exactly on the end date for every schedule, but about a month because here we are in the first week or second week now of, of May. So uh, with all that being said, what is remaining and what is still going on? Well, a few different things. And let's go ahead and start off in men's basketball where a couple of uh, – well, one roster note and one ranking note, but I guess the big news over these past few days for Scott Drew and company is the fact that one of the you know burning roster questions for next year of you know how are they going to replace all of these guys who have declared for the draft or who have already announced their transfers? Certainly, some of them could still return. Uh, we know that, but they've got holes they they need to fill, and now we've learned that uh, one of those will come via uh, a new signee or somebody who's been committed now for a while but is uh, now officially signed and will be arriving a year early. And that e- that is Eves Missy, uh, as he will be joining the 2024 class, or is it the 23, cla- 23 yeah. class rather than the 24 class as he was originally scheduled. Uh, so he will be on the team and playing Big 12 ball and all that good stuff starting next season. So arriving a year early. Uh, Grayson, what does this mean, getting Eves Missy in uh, sooner rather than later? And uh, how does he contribute uh, along with a couple of other new faces that they'll be bringing in and probably some others as well through the transfer portal eventually? But uh, what was already a pretty good class on paper with a couple of high-profile guys now adds a third as well. Right. So I guess let's just start with him first, then we'll kind of dive into what's going on with these decisions and kind of where they're at with the transfer portal. But uh, Eves Missy, seven-footer, a guy with a great wingspan. He comes in, and I think this was – it was kind of already a foregone conclusion, right? Because Ashley Hodge had mentioned it a ton on the premium side. We've mentioned it some that this looked like something that was definitely 
definitely going to happen. So now he's reclassifying to the 2023 class. And it's key for this team because last year they really struggled down low. And and really it was more than just scoring at, from the big man position. It was the defense, the rim protection, uh, the physicality. They just were lacking it all last year, uh, which is something we really haven't seen from a Scott Drew-led team ever, to be honest. And so you bring him in. Now you have him, you got Josho, and you got Everyday John. Those are going to be your three quote-unquote centers next year. I think two of them will probably get the lion's share of playing time. Uh, at this time, I expect that to be Everyday John and Eves Missy. Um, but I do think in general they're in a much better place than they were uh, a season ago uh, with their post play. And I think Eves Missy just gives them another level of athleticism, skill. Uh, he's a potential pro prospect. Uh, he was a top 20 guy uh, when he moved from the 2024 class. And so in the 2023 class, he's number 35 in the country, uh, according to Composite. But he's a guy who I do think brings a lot to the table. And so this is huge for them depth-wise, size-wise, and athletically as they really try to figure out how they're going to kind of adapt uh, with their big men in this kind of era where they're becoming more of a guard-oriented scoring team. So trying to figure out the perfect big man, I think is something that we saw with Everyday John. He was kind of perfect when he was healthy, uh, but I think they're really trying to get more athletic and have more size down there and just be more of a uh, an attacking offense with their big men. So he's 6'10", a little over 200 pounds, and they'll certainly you know shape him up and get him exactly where they want him to be over these next few months uh, prior to the season. But, yeah, now some help down low, to be sure. So Eves Missy uh, coming out of prolific prep out in California, his latest stop, uh, 6'10", 210, uh, he's listed. Uh, and uh, he's now a member of the 2023 Baylor recruiting class and signing class. And uh, he is not alone as – uh, you've got the transfer in Jaden Nunn uh, that we learned about what last uh, couple of weeks or so. Uh, you knew that was coming through the transfer portal as he made the move over from VCU. So you addressed your guards, um, you know, with with Nunn's addition. Now go down low with Eves Missy, and then uh, you know Missy himself is uh, joined by two fellow 2023 signees that have been in the mix you know, in the in the chamber, so to speak, for a while now, as uh, Mira Little, of course, uh, is on his way as well, and Jacoby Walter, who, um, you know, supplies you with the shooting guard. Um, Little lists as a point guard, none a point guard. I know you can kind of shake it up and, and you know, rearrange, but uh, just on paper, uh, that's the foursome that they're getting ready and set to bring in next year. And, of course, as we've mentioned now a couple times, there's going to be others as well that join them in some form or fashion. But uh, that's it's a good little group that you're going to be seeing a lot of next season. And Jacoby Walter, in fact, uh, now a top 10 player in the entire country, a five-star rated on uh, the latest update. Uh, and that's by uh, 247. He was a five-star. And just has he been checked on others as well? Or it's So it's the composite. The so composite, it's, it's how okay. it all kind of comes together. Right. He's according, yeah, if you average it all out, he's the number nine player in the country right now, uh, according to the composite ranking. And he's a guy who I expect fully to be their starting, you know, a starting small forward type for them because kind of – how I view it is I think Jaden Nunn, Jacoby Walter uh, are going to be two starters for this team next year. Then if you're able to bring back Adam Flagler or a transfer, they'll start at point guard. And then Jalen Bridges or a transfer will start at the four. And then it's just kind of about are you going to start everyday John or Eves Missy uh, as your starting center? I think that's probably to be determined. I'd probably lean towards everyday John right now. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where they're at. So they're still trying to figure out who are going to be the starters for this team because right now Adam Flagler and Jalen Bridges are still going through the draft process. Uh, we won't know what they're going to do until the end of the month. On the flip side, Baylor's still recruiting guys in the portal and trying to figure out, okay, so if Bridges and Flagler leave or if they're leaning towards leaving, how do we make sure that we're in the best position to be successful next season? And in order to do that, they're going to have to hit the transfer portal. So right now, kind of a waiting game. Uh, but again, something that I mentioned this week, Flagler and Bridges, yes, they're uh, – at the, uh, you know, they're going through the NBA draft process, but so are a lot of college prospects right now. And so as those guys start to make decisions on whether they're going to stay in the draft or not, 
you're going to have guys who end up making that decision to not go in the draft and then also make the decision to enter the transfer portal. And so that's going to be something very interesting to monitor and a big reason why I don't think Baylor is under an immense amount of pressure, at least not yet, to fill those spots that could be potentially empty uh, following the decisions from Flagler and Bridges. But right now, I still feel about 50 per, I think there's about a 50-50 chance that both of them come back. I think there's about an 80% chance that at least one of them comes back. So there you go. Uh, Jacoby Walter now a five-star. Eves Missy now on his way in a year early. And Miro Little, Jaden Nunn, also part of the group uh, that foursome that will be making their way uh, to Waco in, uh, in a short amount of time to uh, get ready for the 2023 season. And, yes, more will be on their way at some point in time, and more could be on their you know way out. We don't know yet. As you mentioned, kind of in purgatory as far as just don't quite know yet on a couple of of names on and what they'll do. So we uh, wait patiently for that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, good to know that there are some answers being answered, some questions being answered uh, with uh, the reclassification, even if we knew that was coming and um, just, you know, getting that uh, that even fresher updated ranking for Jacoby Walter. Those five stars sh- sure to look nice on your recruiting class. <laughs> so a uh, good deal there uh, for Scott Drew and Baylor men's basketball and um, then uh, I guess uh, one note I wanted to touch on because we've got a a few different kind of uh, football things to to talk about but uh, one uh, a former bear and I wanted your thoughts because I know you're a big fan of the young man but Jalen Ellis a former Baylor wide receiver Uh, he was a great story a few years back he was a member of the Cedar Ridge high school football team down near Austin and in Round Rock, of course, and Sean Bell was his head coach for a year, and they developed a great relationship, and Sean Bell came to Baylor to join Matt Rule's staff after a really successful one year at Cedar Ridge and just decided like he wanted to get into the college game and really come help out his alma mater in a time of need, and he did that and you know maintained that relationship with Jalen Ellis, who became... Uh, and continued to grow into because there was I mean when Sean Bell left people were like well who's he leaving behind you know Jalen Ellis is one of those guys but then over the course of that following year Jalen Ellis grew into a bigger recruit and had Michigan and Texas and all these other schools coming after him committed to Baylor early on and that was in large part due to Sean Bell and his relationships and stayed committed despite all of the overtures and visits and all the other things that took place he got to Waco didn't have a banner career like we all would have hoped uh caught you know basically what averaged out to be like a couple balls per year over the course of three years and decided to enter the transfer portal and that wasn't a surprise it was I guess more of a surprise of just how long it took because it was kind of a foregone conclusion that was probably going to be the case but you never know and uh and so when there was no word you thought well maybe he's going to stick around or what and then was on was not a part of spring ball and it's like okay writing's on the wall but he was in the portal and just about a week ago, uh, finally announced his destination. And it was great because, you know, he was going to be somebody we were going to see, although great, maybe not the right word, because if he had caught like four long balls for touchdowns against Baylor, that would have been kind of hard yeah. to deal with. But regardless, they're not going to face him unless it's in a playoff setting or a bowl setting because he's not going to go to West Virginia any longer. He's not going to be in the Big 12, Grayson. Uh, he popped up with a graphic just a day or two ago, and he's decommitted from West Virginia and uh, he is going to go play for Deion Sanders at Colorado as they overhaul their roster of 50-plus names, and he's now one of them. So uh, guys from Florida State have been all the flavor for Colorado in some ways, but, I mean, they're going to have to pick from all over, and uh, they've now picked the pocket of Neil Brown in West Virginia, it appears. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Ellis going to Colorado? I mean, yeah, it was really tough to see kind of what happened to him at Baylor. He got injured in the uh, All-American game right before he got to Baylor in January towards ACL, and so he gets to Baylor and he's already hurt, and I just, I don't think he ever fully got back to kind of where he was coming into Baylor. Again, everything you saw in high school was pretty much what he was at Baylor and what he's probably going to be at Colorado, which is a deep threat, um, which with not a huge route tree, uh, just more of a guy that goes deep. You're able to find him deep and he can make some explosive plays. And honestly, we saw it last year. I mean, last season, the guy only had three catches, but he had over 150 yards receiving. 
I mean, he was averaging over 50 yards a catch this year uh, for Baylor. We saw the touchdown against Texas. Uh, Could have been another one in that game as well. But it's pretty crazy to look at his numbers and you go, okay, the guy has six career receptions and four of them are are for 39 yards or more. Um, so he just, he's been a big play guy and that's pretty much it. That's one trick pony hasn't played a lot and it's been hard to watch. Um, but on the flip side, you know, maybe he goes to Colorado and they can actually, you know, find a role for him in that, find that niche for him. Um, and I could see that, but I also, I'm not seeing here saying he's going to go for, you know, a thousand yards. That's not going to happen. Um, but I do think there could be a situation where he maybe outperforms what RJ Sneed did there this past year, sure, which yeah. would not be very crazy to imagine. No, I think RJ is a great dude, uh, but yeah, he didn't go and flourish there. No. Um, bad you know, situation as well. Yeah, he, did, he also I mean. wasn't playing for Dion either, so he was playing for like the bad version of Colorado. <laughs> and I don't know what the Dion version will be, but it'll have to be better than what we just saw. And that's unfortunately what RJ joined up with was a. Uh, a staff on its way out, so and it's just not a very good team in general. Clearly, that's why they made the coaching change. But yeah, I think Jalen could very well be a a guy who pops up with a fifty yard touchdown, you know, on occasion, or maybe they find a way to get him, you know, more involved than he ever was at Baylor, and he can be healthy. But yeah, just interesting that you know he was going to be playing for West Virginia. It looked like and. Uh, Baylor could run into him, but uh, now that's not going to be the case. So uh, good luck to him. I do think, and, and I, I don't mean this disrespectfully towards him, but I, I meant, made this show on the, I made this comment on the show yesterday. It does, I think, kind of alert people to like what exactly is going on at Colorado. Like maybe it makes you look a little bit differently because when you hear, like you know how it is. Baylor could have a very productive player, but if he enters the transfer portal and they get somebody new, it's like, oh, great, new. Like, everybody just wants new. It doesn't even – you're not like, get out of here, bring in the new transfers, you know? Like, we just want to turn the page. And so people at Colorado, like there is with the coaching change, is like new, 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 all this new stuff, new players, bring more new, bring more new. And every one of them celebrated as though they're like this huge addition. And so as they're adding all these guys, it just makes me wonder when there's like this big reaction to Jalen Ellis of how many other people around the country during this time are going like – like, it gives you a different perspective on who all they're bringing in. For sure. Because it's not like some huge splash after huge splash after huge splash, even though it kind of feels that way because yeah. it's just constantly happening. And you're like, oh, dion has got another mm-hmm. one. And then I'm sitting there going, but, like, the dude caught, like, three balls in, like, yeah. two years. So it'll be interesting to see, point being, of, like, when you kind of really know the guys they're bringing on, it gives you a different look than when you're just like, holy cow, they're bringing on, like, all these dudes from all over. So I'm very curious when you've got a melting pot like that and just a few months of time to get it all, all the ingredients. I'm, I'm very interested in what comes out on the other end of the uh, recipe for, for them in this first year because it's a lot of just just grabbing from every shelf and just putting it in a pot and hoping it all comes together. And that'll that'll be a fascinating experiment, to, to say the least. That's why it's been so widely talked about. For sure. And, I mean, Jalen Ellis is going to have way more fun in Colorado than he would have at West Virginia. Oh, for I, sure. Let, yeah. Let's be real. That I think that's a great decision by him. He's, you know, his final year in college, he gets to go play for Dion in his first year at Colorado. That's going to be a lot of fun, regardless if they're good or not. I, I don't necessarily think that you know, matters too much. But yeah, it is interesting, like you said, because it's not like they're bringing in guys who are, you know, first round draft picks every time they're adding a guy. You know, there are some guys that they've added that are very talented, but then there's others that's just like, hey, we're trying to fill spots because we've lost like 60 guys from this roster. Um, But yeah, I mean, I even saw a graphic that Shador Sanders is like a top eight quarterback in the country. And I'm sitting there going, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm buying that. I know he was good at Jackson State, but like, come on now. We're, we're playing a very different ball game here uh, at the Power Five level, and so to have him inside that top ten, I think, is a little, a little extreme given we haven't seen him play against the competition he's about to face. But is he really being listed as a top ten top quarterback 10? in college football next yeah. year? Yeah, it's crazy. The, he's not the even top hype. five in the Pac-12, I don't think. Like, Probably not. Is he? I mean, maybe what, if he Penix, is, he's number five. Penix, uh, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, Jaden Delora, I think, is better at Arizona. Bo Nix. Yeah, Bo Nix. Yeah, and then uh, Cam Rising. Um, yeah, I mean, like, that's a, that's a big stretch to have him inside the top ten in the country, and you're exactly right. I mean, is he even in the top? 
half yeah. of the Pac-12. Whew. I mean, I don't know, but that's uh, that's going to be a fascinating spot for Jalen Ellis. So good yes, for him. Indeed. But uh, I, I saw. I think the reason I, I thought about the just the reaction to it was more because of the West Virginia reaction initially. They were like, "Jalen Ellis is coming to West Virginia. What do you guys think?" And I'm like. That's cool. Like, I mean, if he works out, that's great. But, like, I kind of dampened the excitement yeah. a little bit. Hey, man, that one catch for three yards that Jalen Ellis had against West Virginia back in 2021 yeah. is really what was selling it for him. I mean, they've gotten to see Baylor play them all this time and didn't see him have one play. And then I that's just – it's a little crazy to me. I, I think Jalen no, – I think it's the transfer yeah. thing. Like I said, everybody just loves having the transfers coming in. It's the new faces and the new names and all that. So I think that's a big part of it. But, uh, yeah, you will not see Jalen Ellis playing Baylor in the season finale. That we do know. Good luck to him at Colorado. Hopefully he has a, a big year there. But sure. that does play into – uh, looking at next season, I don't think him being on the Mountaineers roster one way or the other affects what you were going to pick as far as a win or a loss goes for that final game of the regular season. But it is approaching summertime, and Vegas is getting all of their odds in a row. Uh, so everybody who chooses to do so can, you know, no student athletes, though. Please, no student athletes. Uh, go place their bets on what they expect next season. And so we've got some win totals that have come out uh, over these last few days um, in regards to next year's Big 12 season. And uh, really interesting to uh, see these coming from DraftKings. And there will be the Caesars. In the, I mean, we could probably do one of these every week, uh, these win total segments, because everybody's going to be breaking theirs out. But DraftKings did release theirs, and it was something you know, nice and fun for folks to chew on. Uh, in terms of looking at next year. And at the very top of the list, you've got Texas uh, at nine and a half wins, Oklahoma at nine and a half wins. And I will say this on Oklahoma, because I am, you know, somebody who follows them very closely. Initially, I saw that and I completely like balked. I was like, what the are you talking about? Nine and a half wins after what we saw last year. But their schedule is so incredibly weak. That, you know, when we did our, we weren't doing like official win totals. We were just like glossing over them and just giving like our knee jerk thoughts. We weren't looking at the schedules while we were doing it. So I was like, initially, I was like, no chance in, you know, what, that they're going to win nine and a half games. And then I looked at their schedule and I was like, well, at least I can see it now. Like I can, I couldn't see it before just thinking they're playing the typical old schedule. But then I looked at was who they're actually playing. I'm like, well, if they are a little bit better, I could see how they could actually get to nine and a half wins because they're going to be more talented than everybody but Texas on their on the schedule. They yeah. don't have like a big non-con game well, either. It's nice to not have Georgia on the schedule, they, which they were supposed to have yeah. Georgia. Well, that's Texas, right? Was supposed to have Georgia no, or Oklahoma. No. Oh, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, that's right. The supposed SEC to have thing. Georgia yeah, 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 for yeah, this yeah. year. Yeah, so they don't have that. And so, like, yeah, looking at the schedule, at least I can kind of see that now. So, anyways, they're at nine and a half. But let's get to Baylor, who is uh, at fifth. Uh, here and really tied for third because you've got Oklahoma and Texas both at nine and a half uh, win total. Kansas State coming off the championship last year at eight and a half, and then a cluster of teams at uh, seven and a half wins, and that includes Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor. So, your thoughts on Baylor at seven and a half wins uh, from DraftKings looking at next year? UCF is at seven and a half too, right? Aren't they? They're listed at six and a half on this list. That six I've and a half on that one. Okay, so yeah, I guess so. They're tied for was that fourth then? Because no, got, they're tied for third. You got Texas, Oklahoma at nine and a half. K State at so eight and a half. Fourth, right? And then Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor. Right. So four because there's three teams ahead of them. So they'd be well, yeah. right fourth. So fourth on tied the list. for third place. Let's do that. Okay, so as far as the win totals go, there's gotcha. two teams at nine and a half. There's second place at eight and a half, and then there's Baylor and two others at, at okay. third. At so they're in like the next tier of, of teams. They're in so, the third tier. Yes. Yeah. There okay. We go. So I think when I look at this, I go okay. So Baylor, in my eyes, I do believe is probably closer to an eight win team. Like I'm leaning towards the over on this. I think their schedule sets up really well. We've talked about that eight home games. Like, they're non-con. I know they have to play Utah. I understand that's a tough game. But the other two games are gimmies, in my opinion, uh, versus Texas State and, I guess, was it Long Island? Um, yeah, I think they're going to be fine in those games. So, yeah, I'm leaning towards the over there. Um, but, yeah, some of the other ones I found interesting. I just think, in general, that tier that we're talking about right there, Texas Tech, I mean, Kansas State I know is one up, but K-State at 8.5. 
Like, I think those four teams, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, K-State, like, I could easily see the Big 12 champion coming from that group. I actually almost expect the Big 12 champion to come from that group. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with them. I think Texas and OU makes sense being at the top, especially Texas, because I think talent-wise, they're probably the best team. But then on the flip side, like, nine and a half wins when one of your games is at Alabama – that's really hard for me to get on board with. I think they're more like a 9-3 and three team. I think OU's probably more like a 9-3 and three team, but their schedule, you know, maybe they find a way to get to 10 wins. So that was kind of my initial thoughts on that top group of teams. Uh, the lower group, it was kind of a more of just like a, a cluster of teams I'm not sure what to do with, but Kansas is the team that kind of stuck out to me as, oh, you know what? I think they're going to hit the over on that. I think they'll win seven games. I think last year they were plagued by injury quite a bit. They get Jalen Daniels back, I believe, in their coach, Lance Leipold, and so I do believe they're going to be probably a seven-win team next year, which would hit the over as well. Um, and I know a lot of people have been looking at Iowa State and Cincinnati specifically as two other teams that, hey, they could easily hit the over. They have a history of having more success than their current number is at. Um, but yeah, those were another two that I was kind of fascinated to look at. I mean, I think they pegged it right on. I, I haven't, you know, dove in deep on uh, a lot of the others uh, just yet. And, you know, having the schedule does matter quite a mm-hmm. bit because, you know, you can go off and, like I said, Oklahoma on paper, they're like nine and a half wins. Get the heck out of here. But look at that schedule and tell me that there's not a path to nine and a half wins. There, yeah. There is. I still think under for them. But um, I know others will disagree there. Uh, but. You know, I can at least see it. Like I said, uh, Cincinnati, that's going to be really interesting for them. But I think they pegged Baylor perfectly. I think based on the schedule, they should be 8-4. and four. Um, Based on that schedule and all those home games, 8-4 and four is what I would look at as, like, where I would probably top out and feel comfortable because I don't feel comfortable making this a nine-win team right now. I just don't. I don't trust the defense. I don't trust the quarterback play yet. I, you know, I need to see something of substance. But, um that's that's right. I mean, that's if you want to get people to bet, seven and a half, man, is a perfect number for them because, again, I could see it through the schedule, eight wins, and I could very easily see them winning seven games uh, and falling right under that based on the, the same exact schedule because a lot of it's going to depend, like, that first big, you know, non-con game with Utah. Uh, and you got, like, Texas early on, and you've got some road games like UCF and Cincinnati where you're like, well, those teams shouldn't be – I think walking right into the Big 12 and beating you, but it's at their place, and you have no idea what Baylor even looks like, much less those teams. I don't have, like, high hopes for Cincinnati this year with the coaching change and just all of that, but you never know. I mean, when you're playing at their place and you've never really, you know, gone there very often, um, for everybody heading to these new places, that's going to be unique and a little bit of a wrinkle that no one's really used to. So I I don't know how that plays havoc or if it even plays any havoc on on some of these schedules. But seven and a half, uh, you can chime in on what you think as far as Baylor goes. But that is uh, the DraftKings win total number for them for 2023. Yeah, and I was... Honestly, a little surprised by that. I thought it was going to be six and a half. That was kind of my initial. I think that I think that would have been too easy. I think, like I said, I think seven I, and a half is perfect. Well, do you remember? So before twenty twenty one, it was five and a half, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, they are hitting the over on this." And that was coming off of the two win twenty twenty COVID season. And I was like, "They're easily going to get to a bowl game." And then, of course, they had an amazing year, but. Mm-hmm. I just I thought this number was going to be more like six and a half, especially after the year they were just coming yeah. from. And it just shows, you know, Vegas is smart and Vegas caught up on this number a little bit. But I also think that should be encouraging for Baylor fans to sit there and go, oh, like Baylor didn't have a good year last year, yet Vegas is expecting them to take a step forward. Um, just something to look at. Whereas, you know, other schools like Tech who have all this momentum that everyone's talking about, well, they won eight games last year, right? And so they're expected to win less than that this year. Um, I just, you know, that tells you also kind of where, you know, maybe that momentum is not quite, you know, right. Or maybe they just maybe they just don't expect them to win close games like Oklahoma and Texas, like they did last year. Those types of affairs, you know, um, they play Oregon early on. So yeah, I mean, it really does help to look at the schedule and you get a much clearer perspective on where they're coming from. And that's why I think, you know, looking at Baylor, you could very easily see eight or nine wins if the schedule. You know, plays out the way that you think it should. At the same time, you have a couple of coin flip games, and you're like, "All right, they're seven and five very easily if you're not careful." So yeah, but but you're right on Texas Tech. Maybe what would you have had them like eight and a half or something? 
I would have had, I personally would have had them at seven and a half, but I feel like everyone in the country, the way they're pumping this team up, it feels like they should be at like nine wins as they're over under win well, total. It's just like, what's one of the most important factors in, in college sports these days? Having an old team. They got an old they team. Do? They yeah. have an old team. And that's why that they are, you know, along with the juice that Joey has and their recruiting classes are, um, you know, the best that they've been in a while. And they're setting up to be, like, on average, probably the best that they've had in quite some mm-hmm. time. Now, that I'm playing to this year right away necessarily. But, you know, they, they're bringing in new guys. There's excitement. And, yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, though. You would think that they have them up a little higher rather right. than with Baylor and a rebuilding or reloading TCU roster. Which but. is the TCU one's also fascinating because that just shows you the Big 12 in general just like, hey, man, you can have a great year the year before, but that doesn't mean you're just going to turn around and run through the conference, especially when your schedule turns over and they have to play the, well, dude, the they five also road games. won so many close games last yeah. year. I mean, they very well have had about four losses before oh, they even easy. got to the championship game, and they just... Including one here. Well, yeah, that one, I mean, the worst one <laughs> of all of them, actually, that one just almost just... I mean, two seconds away, and that yeah. game's a totally different result, and the whole college football season's different as a result of that. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked all the way through Tech's schedule just yet. Like, I don't have it committed to memory outside of that Oregon game early on. But, yeah, they've got some juice around them. Um, so, you know, could have could have probably bumped them up by another win, and, and uh, I'm not sure how much more play that would have gotten Vegas. But it is fun to look at, so – there's the DraftKings version. Texas OU, the favorites in their final year of football in the Big 12. K-State, eight and a half. Then Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, a very interesting group at uh, seven and a half. And then UCF, Kansas, Oklahoma State, who the heck knows there, six and a half. BYU at six, and I think they'll be riding right on that. Iowa State, five and a half. Uh, West Virginia, Houston, Cincinnati all grouped together at four and a half. And Cincinnati, one of those teams that Baylor will go play on the road, one of those road games you just never really know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's a little something to chew on, like I said, and that's uh, some fun off-season talk to be had there with that. So uh, there's some win totals. Uh, meanwhile, I saw the note earlier today uh, that the RG3 camp is back. Did you see this? Um, the RG3 Football yeah. Academy, Saturday, June 17th. I uh, saw that uh, advertisement from the Baylor Twitter account earlier this morning. I don't spend a lot of time on the app, so if they've been advertising that, I apologize. Have they been advertising they, that? Uh, not necessarily just that camp specifically, so that's new, but it's been on their summer camp schedule okay. for, for a little bit. They've had that. So for, most of you have not seen that. What, then. three or four years now? I think they've had that running, so that's been really cool to to see RG3 come back, obviously, for yeah. those camps. It's I think really it's, cool. It's a good deal. So the RG3 Football Academy will be taking place on Saturday, June the 17th. Uh, and you can go over to BaylorBears.com to find more information on uh, all of their camps that are going on and, and how to sign up for the RG3 Academy. So for those who are interested uh, in taking part in that, uh, open to all positions, grades 9 through 12, two-year, four-year prospects as well, currently active in the NCAA transfer portal. So that's another little wrinkle to the uh, the whole thing there, which is very interesting. Wow. So, yeah, uh, all positions, grades 9 through 12 two-year and four-year prospects currently active in the transfer portal Saturday, June 17th. So uh, go check out the website for more information there to go hang out with RG3. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, one other basketball note I forgot, Jeremy Sohan um, had a pretty good year for your San Antonio Spurs and uh, selected the all-NBA rookie second team. So wanted to to shout that out, meant to include that with the basketball notes, but uh, that's a big deal, and the more NBA success some of these guys have, the better it is for Scott Drew and staff. So uh, good to see that Jeremy is getting some um, accolades uh, based on his rookie season with yeah, San Antonio. Very happy for him, and they're about to you know get ready for the NBA lottery in which they're going to try to make a run at Wimby. And so if they're able to get him, that would definitely help Sohan's you know, ability to win a lot of games in the NBA if they're able to find kind of a – future Hall of Fame type guy. And who knows, maybe Sohan becomes someone like that. But great to see him get this honor. He really turned it on after the All-Star break. Played a lot better uh, the second half of the year. So proud of him. Uh, hoping we get to see the the two-handed free throw next year instead of the one-handed. But, uh, mm. hey, he was making them. So uh, that's great news to see. But, yeah, I'm excited for him and how he develops. If he gets that jump shot going, I think he could really become something special in the NBA. 
Very well could, but uh, that's a nice start being uh, all-NBA second team after his rookie season, so a good deal there. Meanwhile, speaking of all-everything awards, the XFL uh, will play their championship game this weekend. Abram Smith will be taking part along with the D.C. Defenders, and he was named all-XFL, led the league in rushing this season, and now playing for a title. Uh, along with some other familiar names, but just no no Baylor guys. But, you know, familiar names if you've been watching college football and following recruiting over the last year. Uh, but, yeah, they'll be playing for, um, I don't know, do you get a ring for the XFL championship? Certainly not one like the Super Bowl ring, but whatever you get. I think they would have to give you something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't know if they get, like, the, the big ring, though. But w- he's playing for a ring, in, in you know, at least on, on paper. And that would be very cool for him to cap off a big first year uh, with a championship as well, but also Jordan Williams, uh, former Baylor linebacker, named to the All XFL Second Team, uh, had a huge year uh, for the San Antonio uh, uh, franchise uh, with over 50 tackles. Uh, he was leading the XFL um, towards the end of March and uh, ends up All XFL Second Team. And we had him on the show uh, just yesterday. He was very fun to listen to, very uh, contagious personality. And so a couple of uh, Baylor guys making their mark in the XFL this year, which is cool to see that. Yeah, that's awesome. And good for Abram. A great chance for him to put on a show uh, for the NFL uh, this weekend. A great chance for him to show what he's got. And I'm sure he's going to try to make an NFL team. I know you all got to talk to him last week. So I'm not going to dive too deep into that. But I do hope he gets a shot at least to go to a training camp and maybe surprise some people after you know, his kind of quick cut from the Saints after his rookie season. Yeah. During his rookie season. I mean, it's going to be hard uh, being a running back, but if he was going to get a chance, he would think it would be coming off of something like this. Um, and beyond that, you know, the odds only shrink uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, players with age and just wear and tear. But he had a big year, um, and so did Jordan Williams. Jordan Williams is just looking at it nearly um, when he finished with 89 tackles, 12 for loss. Uh, in just 10 games. So it was awesome. Pretty yeah. impressive stuff from Jordan Williams. Abram, equally impressive. Um, and yeah, I just, I know they've started to sign some XFL guys, NFL teams have, but I don't know with him being still active with one game to play, like what kind of conversations there may or may not have been just yet. But yeah, you'd love to see him get a chance with the team to uh, hang out over the summer and training camp and all that good stuff and just have an opportunity. So we will see as far as uh, that goes. But first, he's got to go win. A title, um, and then I guess uh, one other note here before we get into the mailbag: a huge weekend for Baylor softball as uh, they go in and uh, sweep Texas, uh, top five sweep of the Longhorns, and uh, did it in various ways. Had a run rule in game number one, just playing a playing a old win in, in game number two, and then a walk off in game number three. Uh, and the full meal deal sweep of UT, uh, that was pretty stunning. Not that they won the series, but the fact that they swept them and they did it without Dariana Orm on the mound because they decided to give her rest. And she, for those that don't know, is like their all-everything pitcher. Uh, but they had some other, you know, great arms on the mound and uh, just, you know, backup defense and, and offense. And all of it came together for what was a great weekend for Glenn Moore and company. With that sweep of UT, they are now the number four seed in the Big 12 tournament. And they will face number five seed Iowa State on Thursday at noon at the uh, USA Hall of Fame softball complex in Oklahoma City. Now, the winner will go on to face Oklahoma in the very next round. So uh, that would be tough. But win that first one and then worry about the rest of it later. OU uh, gets a bye as the number one overall seed. And they are just a, a machine. I mean, they are they are truly the definition of of that when you talk about applying that tag to sports teams they are a machine uh so that would be uh, you know tough but not impossible Baylor beat them earlier this year they're only um, lost. the only team to do that and then they came back to uh get their revenge and smack Baylor around in three games uh here just about what a week or two ago so they remembered that and uh they they got their their payback for that, but yeah, we could very well see a fifth game between those two teams. But you got to handle business against Iowa State, who's right behind you, and that's not a gimme. No, and that's a team that actually 
won the series against yep, Baylor. Did. So that's definitely and that was surprising too. Yeah, it was an upset for sure. So Baylor's got to worry about that one first. But yeah, beating Texas the way they did, they only gave up four runs in three games. That was spectacular to see. Uh, just for those who don't know, Texas was the number five team in the country going into that matchup. In the first game in which Baylor run ruled them, it was actually in Austin. Um, so yeah, that really weird series. They played one in Austin and then two in Waco, uh, for that one. So yeah, great series, huge for this team to get some momentum going into the postseason. Now they play Iowa state. That's another one where you need to continue to carry that momentum here, beat Iowa state, get a win there. And then, you know, likely go and lose to Oklahoma. But Again, losing to Oklahoma is not going to do much to your postseason outlook, but losing to Iowa State probably would uh, because I still think they can probably get into that top 16 national seeding line, which is where you'd like to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, you want to find a way to be in there, and I think RPI-wise, they're currently Baylor 17. So, I mean, this game against Iowa State is, is actually pretty massive for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a big deal, man. It's the postseason. The postseason starting. It's the Big 12 tournament, and... Uh, yeah, they're seeding and just, you know, wanting to win the dang thing and, um, you know, improve your your uh, standing and, and all of that. Uh, get a win over Iowa State after they kind of beat you up. Uh, all that stuff's in play. So, yeah, that's getting underway on Thursday. Uh, Baylor versus Iowa State. Winner goes on to face Oklahoma, the top seed with a first-round bye. So there's that. Um, and... Anything as far as the rest of the spring sports go, I mentioned tennis. Both teams are out. Uh, the men will have, you know, individuals. Um, I didn't see on the women's side of things. Uh, I don't think they do based on what I last saw. Um, but, you know, tough year for tennis, I think, on both sides, especially the men. I know they had a hard schedule, but it's like they could never get over that hard schedule. It's just like it just never – it never improved. It just stayed kind of the same wavelength the entire season. And they had you know? injuries, guys. Right, right, right. There's reasons why yeah, too. But weren't ruled ineligible. It it just really, like you said, disappointing. Yeah. Just it never came together for them. Like you said, it just like they played that tough schedule and then just could never get. They just past played a tough that. schedule. That's all they did all year was right. just play a tough schedule and. And then they played Florida State, a team they beat earlier this year, and they lose 4-0. And honestly, you know, if you go look through those scores, it really, you know, it was not very close. And losing the doubles point obviously gets things started in the wrong direction. So, yeah, they're out. Uh, The women's team at least won their first match. They won their first rounder, uh, beat the Mustangs, and then got swept by A&M. Which was expected. yeah, Yeah, out in pretty quick fashion as well. So yeah, both uh both tennis teams are knocked out. You still got golf going on. Um, yeah. At this point, uh, women's golf is in the Pullman Regional. That's actually starting today. So we'll start yesterday. to see some updates. Or it started yesterday. Yeah. Um, so we'll start to see, you know, further updates on that as we move along. Track still got uh, outdoor championships for the Big Twelve. Uh, that'll be coming up this weekend. Um, and men's golf starts next week with their regional. So all these things starting to, to kind of come to a close uh, or at least getting into the postseason. And then there's baseball, which we know they have about two weeks left, and then it's over uh, this first year for Mitch Thompson as uh, they just continue to kind of go on along, but uh, certainly with a lot of struggles along the way. And uh, they get their final Big 12 series this weekend against TCU. Uh, so uh, TCU, not like some – you know, bulletproof, unbeatable team by any means. Uh, they're they're in the bottom half of the standings with Baylor, but uh, certainly uh, the Bears won't be the favorite uh, in Fort Worth, uh, mind you. So that'll get underway starting later on uh, this week, and you can watch those games, I believe, on ESPN+. Plus. So there's at least that if you want to check out some Baylor baseball. But, uh, yeah, their season, uh, one more week after this one, and uh, you'd think that'd be about it for, for them in year number one. Then get back to – to retooling and regrouping and doing what you can to get ready for 2024. Yeah, and I mean, they can still make the Big 12 tournament. Um, they're probably going to... the problem is, is they've already played most of their games. Everybody right. else has got, like, another series yeah, after K- this weekend. Well, KU is kind of right on. They've won less game no, right KU now. KU does? Okay, KU. well, everybody else has played three yeah. less games in Baylor. Oh, yeah, so. they're not going to catch anything yeah, higher than yeah. the last seed like, in well, the tournament. For example, <laughs> the reason why I say that is because TCU's got one more win, mm-hmm. but TCU has three more games to play, yeah. and they play Baylor as well. So right. they they got six to go, whereas Baylor's got three. But, yeah, I wasn't thinking about Kansas, but so they're, they're there as well. Yeah, KU has, I guess, it says only three more on their schedule, but they've played one less game. So I don't know if they have a game 
out or whatever, but that also does not help Baylor because that means Baylor's going to have to win on the average and not necessarily the win total. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Something to watch. Hopefully they can find a way to get into the Big 12 tournament. In order to do that, they're probably going to have to win this series is what I would – that's what I have in my mind at least as far as if they can make the Big 12 tournament, it will come from a series win over TC, which possible. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible, but it has been a very tough year, so we will see how they close it on out. Two weeks to go on just paper, and uh, if there's anything extra, then that would be, um, you know, a big deal that we'd be talking about next week if they could squeeze some more games out somehow. But, yeah, two weeks to go there. All right, so we basically wrapped around everything at this point, I believe. Um, But returning and, and squaring back to football before we get into the mailbag here, uh, anything recruiting-wise you want to update and kind of touch on there? Is there anything to touch on there? Where are we for the folks that want a little football news and notes on the recruiting front? I mean, so I think the biggest thing is, you know, Utah State cornerback Ajani Carter took his official visit to Baylor this weekend. Uh, all reports are it went really well. Um, the thing that I think was big that Baylor's been doing is, you know, they had Byron Vaughn's on campus by himself, essentially, and he committed. And then they had Trevin Maya on campus by himself, essentially, he committed. So there's this trend going on of Baylor getting transfers on campus, essentially one at a time, and then they've been committing kind of shortly after that. Uh, Ajani took a visit to Indiana right before the Baylor visit, so it seems to be between those two schools, although this week Penn State and in uh, BYU offered as well. So kind of waiting to see if he's going to decide to take other visits. Uh, but last I heard from him, he told me he was going to make a decision in the next couple days, and that was on Sunday. So my belief is a decision should be coming this week unless something changes and he decides to take a visit to Penn State. Uh, I think my initial impression is that if he decides this week, I think Baylor's in a great position. If he waits and goes and takes visits elsewhere, then Baylor could be in a little bit of trouble. Um, but that, that's kind of the biggest storyline right now is Baylor tries to round out uh, their roster, tries to round out their transfer portal recruiting class, um, and just tries to fill some holes on this roster. And I, I do think this will likely be their last addition last potential addition from the portal. If they don't land him, I do think they'll probably move in another direction and try to find another transfer uh, before the season. All right, so uh, finally getting down to where there are really no spots left, and there's been so much uh, roster activity really ever since the bowl game. I mean, the day of the bowl game, you were adding Dominic Richardson to the roster. Like, it was... Mm -hmm. That was kind of the start of it. Was he the very first one, I guess, or was one of the Barrington Barrington. brothers? I was thinking... Campbell, right? Campbell might have been like a couple days before or Maybe. something. They were kind of all right around. They'll, yeah, a lot but that of was were. December, yeah. and uh, here we are, and it's May 9th, and they have been adding guys pretty much like every other week, it feels like, the entire stretch run. So, yeah, we're finally getting to where, hey, you only have 85 scholarships. That's really all <laughs> you have to work with, and there hasn't been any attrition post-spring that we're aware of. I mean, has there been anybody? Like, uh, everybody no. was – in before spring yeah. ball. So, yeah, there's been no attrition there. Um, and you'd think that there would have been at least a little bit um, since they wrapped up, what, three weeks ago now at this point. But uh, there you have it, uh, just a one spot or so remaining for this team. And we'll see uh, if that goes to their priority target. All right, I uh, think that covers pretty much every base imaginable uh, going on right now. Uh, we did have, I think, uh, there was the one undrafted free agent, the straggler, Grant Miller. I don't know if we mentioned him last week, but we he did. caught on with the Rams. I uh, had that in an article uh, but outside of that, um, no, no new news on the NFL front after what was the NFL draft last weekend and a lot of activity for guys. But I don't know, it's close to just one draft pick, but like six or seven guys caught on as undrafted free agents. So for what wasn't like a big sterling heralded class, uh, that was a pretty good result, I feel like. But you got to, of course, have those guys stick and attach and stay around. That's the important mm-hmm. part, not just signing the undrafted deal. So we'll see over these next few weeks and months, how that goes for that whole uh, crew of guys. All right, getting into the mailbag this week to uh, wind it on down. Scotty B. the Baylor King, who's saltier Texas fans after multiple losses to Baylor or the In-N-Out Burger French Fries? Definitely Texas fans because In-N-Out Burger French Fries are not that salty. I I can't even recall what they taste like. Yeah, they're not as salty as Whataburgers. They're pretty legit. They're good. They're pretty legit. They're good. They're not as good as Whataburgers. Whataburgers (laughs) are my favorite. But Garrett might disagree with me, but 
Eh, okay. But I will say the best French fries are still McDonald's. Those, those, those I haven't been to McDonald's in a while. Like, if we're talking classic golden age McDonald's, and I would agree with you, but the yeah. last couple times I've been there, it's more of like soggy and cold. The fries? At McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Depends on the location. There's like exactly a couple right. of spots in Waco, yeah. I trust. Oh, yeah. That's about it. Yeah, exactly, dude. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. it's definitely Texas fans compared to the In N Out fries. They were so, even their Insta or their Twitter page was salty. Like, their Texas softball Twitter page oh really they're posting graphics that made it look like they won the series it was <laughs> like the runs they blurred out the the run number and had it more hits and errors i was like come on man that's ridiculous yeah that's uh that's just stupid yeah. <laughs> i mean just post the score who cares post yeah. the stupid score i mean move on and they be were an adult they were posting like it's a fair ball on one oh, of the yeah. calls, and I mean, they were salty. Well, yeah. you know, uh, I I can't vouch for the In and Out Burger French fries. It's been a long time since I've been to In and Out Burger, but I'll take uh, everybody else's word. May need to go do that here pretty soon. But uh, yeah, sounds like uh, from the sounds of it, the Texas fans were were saltier. Anyways, future for men's tennis is bright. They should return everyone except two seniors. They do bring in two solid recruits, including a six eight player from South Africa who defeated a top 400 singles player in the world a few weeks ago. Well, good to know because there's a lot of history with that men's tennis program, and they I know this is not up to the standard what they did this year. So they they need to retool. They need to add more talent. And so, yeah, add in as much talent as you possibly can because they need to get better in doubles and singles going into next year. Big Cheese 83, I assume this is more a question for Grayson, but has Baylor's recent misses at QB recruiting the last two years, especially Novaside, affected their reputation in recruiting any? And in your opinion, is this situation more bad luck and an unfortunate situation or a failure of the coaching staff? So I guess reputation and then, uh, you know, where do you place the, the blame, bad luck, unfortunate situation or coaching staff? Yeah, it definitely hasn't affected their reputation. I mean, misses happen all the time in college football. And I mean, high school recruiting is just an area where this stuff happens. So no, it, it has not affected it, their reputation at all. Like no one's, no QB recruits going to be sitting there talking about, oh, remember when uh, Zach Pyron decommitted? Like, no, no one, no one even talks about that at all. Um, as far as, the other part of your question, I would say that the that both situations fall more into bad luck, unfortunate situation category. Because uh, Pyron obviously had some things to deal with, which led to his decommitment, and then eventually, you know, Baylor kind of moved on from him. Uh, Austin Novosad, on the other hand, obviously super bad luck as he flipped literally on the last possible day you could after taking an official visit to Oregon. So I think in general, it's unfortunate bad luck situation. The only failure you could possibly have is maybe not having a backup plan. But I just, I also think that it's ridiculous to have this argument that they should have had all these options available at the end. When in reality, like that's not how this works. Guys commit to programs. Then you get to the end of the cycle and it's like, no guys are still committed to the programs they've been committed to. So it's really hard to find a backup option that late. And you don't just want to take a guy just to take a guy. Like you want to take a guy who can actually play. And if not, you go to the transfer portal, which is what they did with Sora Robertson and RJ Martinez. Thank you, Big Cheese. Uh, Lomer, super fan. What are some potential swing games in the football season this year? I mean, the result of the game could have a drastic impact on the overall record perception of the season. I feel like the Utah and Texas games qualify. Win both, you could have a great year. But if you lose both, it could be an uphill battle the rest of the way. Well, I'll tell you, my mind immediately goes to Utah um, in that Week 2 game because you, uh, you know, yeah, you're really kind of setting the tone for what's going to be a favorable schedule, but a tough schedule nonetheless, with plenty of question marks all over it. So, yeah, I think that Utah game, just in, all like the pack and Big 12 stuff going on, like just bragging rights there I think would be a big deal. Um, just to kind of, you know, say like, hey, we beat a Pac-12 team, and they're, you know, arguably their best team, one of their best teams. Uh, that would be big. And just to have a big non-con win like that early on in the season would be huge. To have a win like that at McLean would be huge. So, yeah, that's definitely a swing game. Um, I understand why you point out Texas, but like to not answer your question exactly the way you phrased it, like um, I, in terms of just importance, not necessarily swing games. TCU is number one without a freaking doubt in my mind. Like you've got to freaking beat TCU. I mean, it, it's it's overdue. It's been long enough. Last year was just unimaginable how you found a way to lose to them again, and then what they went and did with it after you know that game just 
unreal. So to me, that TCU game has to be near the top. I'd say Tech is right there as well just because I know Oklahoma and Texas, and they're on their way out. You don't play Oklahoma. Like, to beat Texas in your last meeting, I understand that would be a big deal. And that that in Utah in the first month of the season, those are truly – you win those two games or one-on-one one or whatever, that's a big deal. You go 0-2, and, and it's like, uh-oh. Um but, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of importance, that Utah game is huge. Texas is definitely a swing game. But the rest of the way, I think it would be just massive to beat TCU for once and, and, to, uh, and to beat Texas Tech as well. But your thoughts? Yeah, perception-wise, I agree the TCU game is yeah. the one. Because that's fans' perception, that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it has been such a struggle for Baylor against TCU in recent years. So you said Utah, I agree. Like winning that game kind of sets the course of the season really well in my eyes. Like if you start three and zero, I find it really hard to believe they're not going to go at least eight and four. Like I, I really do believe that. So I agree with you on that. But to be a little bit different, yeah, it's week three. Utah. I was saying week two. Week three. Week two. It is week uh, two, right? Oh, Texas okay. State, Utah, Long Island. The schedule just jumped. Yeah, it's oh, week two. Sorry. Yeah, week two. So, but to be a little bit different, I'm going to go to actually their first road game of the year. Um. This team has really struggled on the road. Even during their uh, 2021 season, their two losses were on the road. And so I need to see them go on the road, play a team that I think is a bowl team. Like I I think Central Florida is a bowl team. Uh, Go to a place you haven't really been to much, and you're having to go. I don't know if they've ever been there, honestly. But having to go play there on the road, their first uh, home game in the Big 12, your first road game of the year, and you are you have just played Utah and Texas, you know, in the three week time span before that. You're about to play Tech and Waco the next week. I just think that game is so important for kind of the foundation they set this season and how the trajectory of their season goes. Because if you do start two and two or three and one, if you lose that game, it really does take some shine off of a you know decent start to the season. You could be like two and three at that point um, if After- you don't. After if you don't beat UCF, I yeah. mean, if you lose the Utah and Texas, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's definitely one as well. And then you play like you said, Tech that following week, and I'm thinking of Tech just in terms of um, you know being in Waco and just like you're looking ahead. And I know you're looking ahead. K State's going to be a team you're contending with all the time, and there's there's others as well. But like we know the deal there, and like that's a team that they're going to be super competitive with, and is very similar to like TCU. But we know the history with TCU; they haven't been able to beat them for anything. Uh, you've had some success against Tech, and I think it's going to be huge to try and maintain that, especially like this. We'll know everything in the first six weeks of this season. Yeah, through once we get we'll through everything. the Tech game, we'll know. We'll yeah, know we'll where know they're all. going, all that stuff. They'll have played Tech. They'll have played Texas. They'll have been to UCF. They'll have played Utah. I mean, we'll we'll have a great grip on, on where they are by the time that Texas Tech game ends and they head into the bye week um, because that's that's the game before the bye week. And then after that, you know, we'll be saying, okay, they need four wins to make a bowl game or they need mm-hmm. three or whatever. But, yeah, that first half of the schedule, there's Utah, Texas at UCF, Texas Tech at home, if, huge games. If they're 4-2, they're a legitimate Big 12 contender. Yeah, that's how I feel. Easier about it. said if, than done. If they're four and two during that stretch, they are because their next three games are like if you start four and two, their next three games they should win all three, and then you get into what is a tough November. But in my eyes, if you start four and two, you're a legitimate Big Twelve contender this year. Um, and so that that's why those those first few games we've talked about, you know, pretty much all of them up to this point because they are such big swing games and it's interesting because in the past we kind of looked at those Iowa State games remember that were kind of the first conference game of the year and how important those were uh this this year it would be Texas technically if we were going off of that same mindset but uh yeah I think we went through some of the the bigger ones but you're right TCU perception wise that's a huge one. Well, nothing matters in the second half right now. Yeah, I know. Nothing yeah. matters because if they don't get out of the first half, fine, then nothing doesn't matter. Not, doesn't yeah. matter. Um, and if they do, then, hey, then we start looking at that second half and going, wow, like look at this Iowa State game or this whoever. But, yeah, it's all in that first half of the season, those swing games, and there's three of them, um, you know, at least. So thank you, Lomers. That's a, it's going to be a fun little stretch, hopefully. Fun stretch, yeah. but tough stretch. Bears 224. If our quarterback play doesn't show anything this year, we don't recruit well for 24. Do you see Sean Bell still here? I like him as a person. We just haven't seen anything great as far as quarterback play yet. Bohannon was great, but as a runner, but nothing as great as something specific as quarterback play. I think that 
Sean Bell, in my eyes, should at least be at Baylor and be coaching at Baylor until he gets his quote-unquote actual guys as the starting quarterback, which his first quarterback recruit is actually Sawyer Robertson um, because Kyron Jones obviously isn't here right now. So Sawyer is kind of that guy that I'm looking at and going, okay, this is more of exactly what Sean Bell recruited, right? Because Blake Shapin was technically a Larry Fedora recruit, um, and then you look at, um, you know, Blake. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only one that he's had. And so I, I think that that's the bigger thing. I don't think Sean is at risk of losing his job this year. I think in general, if you saw what he did with Gary Bohannon, I mean, guys, to think that Gary Bohannon could, you know, lead a team to a Big 12 championship is pretty absurd. If you look at what he's done outside of his time at Baylor as the quarterback, I mean, he has not been good at all. And so he was able to turn him into a guy that could actually move an offense and win a Big 12 championship. That is cra- a crazy cool accomplishment. Um, and so now, you know, it's about continuing to get better, developing Blake Shapin, allowing Sawyer Robertson to battle with him and figuring out who gives you the best chance to win. But right now, after that 2021 season and still riding off of that and trying to, you know, just get better at the position, develop young guys at the quarterback position, I really do think his job is fine right now. Yeah, I don't sense any heat or warming up right now. I think if, you know, the season doesn't go very well, then that's a different story. And that's uh, basically what you were asking. So, yeah, that's something we need to see play out. Um, Need to see who they sign. And, you know, I understand the frustrations uh, with just the recruiting part of things. But that's also – you can't solely blame somebody for what happened with Austin Novosad. Like, if you do everything – you could possibly do and somebody then there still decides to go against what you've done like that's not necessarily your fault Austin Novoside wasn't Sean Bell's fault that was Oregon and a connection there with their coach they had just hired from UTSA and probably some NIL and yeah and and all of that coming into play that's not Sean Bell took him two hours before he was supposed to sign, and the kid decided to pull the rug out from underneath him. That's on Austin Novosad. That's not on Sean Bell. And I'm not even trying to disparage the kid. I'm just trying to say that's that's not Sean's fault. And so. then he won a recruiting battle against the defending national runner-ups for Sora Robertson. Yeah, but so I mean, as keep that in mind far as well. on the play, on the field play goes, I mean, that's as much on shaping, I think, as it is on Bell. But it's a combination, so we'll and see. And Grimes. And, and Grimes. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. But yeah, I don't, I don't sense that right now, but it all depends on... Uh, on you know how a lot of things go here moving forward. Oso Del Rio Brazos will close us out. What would you be or what would be your way too early prediction for the number of Bears drafted in the 2024 NFL draft? It's so tough after what we just saw this year. I think you know Baylor's going to need to win a lot of games if they want a bunch of guys drafted. Um, but my initial thoughts, I I think Clark Barrington, um, T.J. Franklin, Gabe Hall. And I think that's that's probably as far as I'm willing to go currently. I just it's so hard to get drafted. I don't think people understand that. Like it is so difficult to be one of the the guys that are actually selected. So those three make a lot of sense. Some outside chance guys, you know, maybe a Drake Dabney, um, maybe a Dominic Richardson. Um, Oh, Byron Vaughn's, I think the transfer from Utah State, I think he he'll get drafted probably. So he, I'd add him to my list as well. But that that's kind of where I'm at. No Matt Jones, no. I just I don't I, uh, it, I don't see it. Mike Smith, I I just I they need to show me a lot this year for me to say yeah they're gonna for sure get drafted. I, it's hard. It's hard. Like Connor Galvin didn't get drafted. Connor Galvin was right. the best offense lineman in the league in twenty twenty one. Like it's just it's difficult. Yeah, uh, I would say two on the uh, the number of Bears drafted. It's it's hard because there's like seventh year seniors, sixth year seniors, fifth year seniors, fourth year seniors. There's transfer. I mean, it's like you go look at the roster and you used to just hit sort, and it would be like five categories. It'd be your redshirt seniors, and then your seniors, juniors, you know, whatever. You could, get, but you could at least see. Now there's like there's a seven next to guys' names like Bryson Jackson. There's sixes next to guys' names because of the COVID years. And so I'm, I'm just, like, sorting through the eligibility. But, yeah, I mean, just who all's eligible, uh, I'd say a, a couple of guys that I'd feel good about. Um, and I'm not even getting specific on, like, who necessarily. But, like, yeah, TJ Franklin, who else did you say? Gabe Hall. Like, Gabe Hall. Like, those guys make sense. But, 
you know what? Outside of that, no, I don't feel like there's any just automatic, like, yeah, go ahead and pencil in four or five guys for next year. I don't. Um, a lot will depend on how they perform this this season. Um, and that goes for your Matt Joneses and your Garmin Byron Randolphs. Bond, Garmin Randolph. Uh, By, like, all these guys, yeah. Drake um, Dabney. Drake Dabney. I mean, you'd feel good about his chances, a 6'5", 200-plus pound uh, Pass catching tight end, but he's also coming off of a bad injury. So it's it's we crazy because I mean, yeah, you would think his measurables are better. He's more athletic than Ben Sims, but Ben Sims is the most productive Baylor tight end of all time, and he couldn't even get drafted. Right, it's, it's pretty it's crazy. easier said than done. A lot of people have tight ends. A lot of people have you know your D linemen that are just as good. And so yeah, let's go ahead and say two. So it'd be better than this year's just one with Siaki Ika, but. Um, you know, I wouldn't place a large wager on that, put it that way. But then again, they have a good enough year, and you could see five or so guys that, that find their way. It just depends quite a bit on what happens over these next few months. Early. And yeah. there's that as well. So uh, thank you for the question, and we'll have plenty to talk about in that regard uh, as, uh, you know, the season winds on along and you start to get a clear picture of kind of where guys stand in the eyes of scouts. But uh, thank you for that. And to everybody who asked a question this week, uh, that'll about cover, I think, every base imaginable right now. Um, but Grayson, anything before we go here? No, just be sure to check out the Sikkim 365 premium side. Got all kinds of content, news, notes, recruiting. Uh, we're about to get into June, which is when official visits happen. So you're definitely going to want to pay attention then. And then, of course, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, uh, 365 Sports Radio with Craig, Paul, and Smokey. Uh, a lot of fun talking college football as spring balls wrapped up for everyone now. And it's the off season. Yeah, it is. It is the off season, so we will be talking about win totals and things like that probably yeah. on a more regular basis, but there's been no shortage of college athletics news, that's for sure. And still got baseball, softball, all these other sports winding through. But uh, for now, that'll about do it. Uh, thanks to Garrett Ross, as always, behind the scenes, Jack McKenzie as well. And thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already, please hit like and subscribe on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 page, which you're – believe watching right this very second so if you haven't done that we'd appreciate it and until next time it's been the bearcast on sikkim365.com